Hailing frequencies open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Caliban, and if I had to choose my pain, I'd pretend to be torn between Thomas Paine and Payne Stewart, but in my heart, I'd always want to choose Major Payne. I'm joined on the show, as usual, by Ella Pearson. She's the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast on the Chronic Rift Network, and she is the curator of the uh, Generations Geek Instagram account. Ella, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you. <laughs> uh, there is an agonizing wait every week once Discovery is aired until the next Sunday when Discovery is on again. What do you do to fill that time? Are you watching or rewatching any other Trek series? Um, you know, honestly, I want to say that I'm watching something really interesting and good, but I've just been binging New Girl, <laughs> which is really interesting and good, but in a different way. <laughs> there has got to be a New Girl podcast out there for sure. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, though, so I can't make a joke about it, really. <laughs> uh, also joining us on the show tonight, he's the author of the young adult novels Samurai Shortstop, Code of Honor, and Project 1065, and he's a former guest on Enterprising Individuals. His latest novel, Refugee, and also his other novel, Band This Book, can be found in bookstores and online. He's Alan Gratz. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, you're welcome back. And I should say that Alan is also the co-host of LCPOD, the Internet's foremost T.J. Hooker podcast. That's right. Yeah. If you if you want to know all about T.J. Hooker, you know, we're the people to come to right here. It's serious business. Uh, maybe we'll hear a little more from LCPOD in the future. Who can say? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Alan, most, if not all, of your novels are set in uh, tumultuous historical periods and they deal with social, often international issues. How do you go about deciding what to focus on when you write a book in terms of the issues involved? Well, I write for kids, and so um, you know my main audience is middle schoolers. So mm. I'm always looking for a story where I can get a kid as the protagonist, and uh, that does limit the kind of stories I can tell. You know, if I'm writing about World War II, I can write about a kid in the resistance, or I can write about a kid in the Hitler Youth. It's harder to write a story about a bomber where they didn't have kids on bombers, or a submarine where there weren't <laughs> kids on submarines. True. So uh, that that limits me a little bit, uh, but otherwise. Uh, unfortunately, there are plenty of times in our history uh, where kids have been asked to do heroic, brave, dangerous things, where they've been asked to grow up and be mature uh, before their time. And uh, there are plenty of those stories to choose from. And, and those are the ones that I research and write about. Yeah. How do you make the issues digestible for younger readers? You know, what I try and do is I, I try and keep it so that it's a, a page turner so that, that they don't want to put the book down. But at the same time, uh, I'm trying to put in all the stuff that really happened. Uh, I'm, I think kids, especially middle schoolers, really crave verisimilitude. I think that they have a really strong mm. sense of justice. And so I think that when they see something done wrong to somebody, they want to see right done in return. Uh, they want to see you know, the bad guys get theirs in the end. Yeah. Uh, and boy, when you're writing about World War II, as I've had a number of times, you, you don't get a whole lot more bad than, than the Nazis. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, they're, they're a really easy bad guy because they were super bad. And uh, so I, I, I pick situations that are really black and white, but, uh, but I also don't pull any punches when I describe what people were doing to each other. I think that's what kids really respond to. Yeah. Uh, Trek historically has always been preoccupied with issues similar to the ones that you write about. I can't remember if we talked about it when you were on the show previously, but um, were you looking forward to Star Trek Discovery? Yeah, we didn't talk about it. It was it was in the in, in the really far future, I think, by the yeah. time uh, when we did ours. Um, yes, 
Uh, I mean, any return to an episodic Trek, I am very much in favor of. I mean, we did talk about that briefly, I guess, that that the one thing that, that we talked about the movies and we, one of the things that, you know, in, in the recent uh, most recent uh, Kelvin verse movie, you know, at one point uh, they've got they've got Kirk saying, like, you know, why don't we just go on missions anymore? And we were saying, like, <laughs> yeah, that's our question, too. Like, why can't we just go on missions anymore? Can we have yeah. a TV show, please? Yeah. So uh, really been looking forward to this one. I have to, I have a confession to make. Sure. So, um, you know, you and I talked about me. This is this is one of my free days home. I've, I've been on the road traveling, talking about my books and schools and, and conferences and festivals all fall. Right. And so this was like my one Sunday to be home and do this. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll be watching the episodes on the road and I'll be ready for this. <laughs> and um, cut to today where I hadn't seen any of the episodes yet. <laughs> and um, I binge watched the entire run and then tonight's episode just to prepare for right. discovery. Then you're ready to talk about it. It's fresh. I you. am really I'm ready to talk about all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we all have, uh, Ellie and I, Ellie and I, just this one, and you all of them have watched. Uh, right, and I've listened to your previous broadcast. They've been okay. great, and they've helped. They've helped me answer a lot of questions that I had about the show too. You're, you're beefed up on it, then. Well, yeah. we've just watched uh, episode five entitled Choose Your Pain, and we're here to break it down for the listeners. As always, we're setting a course for the spoiler zone, so be warned. Uh, if you're like Alan and you haven't quite, uh, until this point, been able to see the episodes, <laughs> uh, we are going to spoil spoil things. So spoilers are incoming. Um, first of all, Alan, now that you have watched it, I'm intrigued to think yeah. or to find out what you thought about the premiere, the first two episodes. You know, so I treated it, I, I really see it as prologue. Uh, yeah. I agreed with your assessment after the third episode in your podcast where you took, where, where, where you'd said like, this was really like the, the first real pilot episode was, was three. And why didn't the show really start there? And yeah. look, as an author, I try not to write prologues. I want to reveal all that, that backstory uh, through, through action in the moment. And I was really surprised that they chose to do those two pilot episodes as really the backstory for for then bringing us up to speed in in that third episode where the the action of of our story you know with Michael on board the discovery that's what the show is named for after all right. uh, really kicks in and so i mean i thought they were i thought that the episodes were good i uh, but but i really liked 3 on better and and I, I, like one of your other uh, guests, I really thought that maybe they could have started with three and 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 woven that other information in later on. I yeah. do have a I do have a um, a pet theory and we can get to this later. I know we want to talk about the episode first, but I have a pet theory about where they're going and why why the that then the prologue, the pilot is necessary for that. Okay. So so I both I both don't think they should I don't think they should have done it, but. I have a guess as to why they did. Okay. Well, put a pin in that, and we will come back to that uh, we'll at the end of the show. In. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Payne does get chosen this week, and of course, yeah. the big story is the first appearance of fan-favorite character Harcourt Fenton, Harry Mudd, played by Rain mm -hmm. Wilson, of course, originally played by Roger C. Carmel on the original series. What did you guys think about the first appearance of Harry Mudd and his depiction? I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love Rain Wilson, and I really felt confident that he was going to do a great job, and I love it. I'm excited to see more. Yeah, ditto on the Rain Wilson casting. Uh, I love him as an actor and was really excited, actually, when they cast him. I don't care that he doesn't look like the original actor. Um, you know, I, I, I think that he's got the right attitude, the right mentality. He's going to bring the right 
flair to that character. He certainly um, got enough I, rings. I did, go ahead. He certainly got enough rings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did wonder, how, the show has been pretty dark up until now. And I, as soon as I found out that this week, the one where I'd be talking to you about it would be the one where we get Harry Mudd. I was like, how in the world, now knowing this show through four episodes, are they possibly going to bring Mudd in? in any, <laughs> like, this is like one of the, the most screwball characters from the original series, maybe yes. the most screwball like that totally doesn't jive with yeah. with the show that we've got going on right now. And in fact, he's not as funny right now in this episode. There, there are moments of humor, certainly. Yeah. But um, but they, they they gave us a little bit darker edge to mud, I thought, tonight. Yeah. For me, this is um, I think Ellen and I talked about this last week, but I just like uh, the show more and more every episode. And I yeah. think like this is probably my new favorite episode because the table is set now. Like our table is fully set and we're at that point where we can finally dive in and we can finally start getting the show will never become fully episodic, but we can really get, right. you know, sort of the week to week kind of goings on of uh, of the USS Discovery and its adventures. And so we finally get thrown into this. And as far as Mud goes, yeah, I mean, I don't know how funny he's going to be, but he's certainly going to be a presence. He's supposed to be in nine of these. And there are eight episodes yep. left, so he's going to be. I was I was surprised he didn't come back to the ship. Yeah. with the cat. Surprised the writers didn't bring him back to the ship. I thought for sure that's how we were going to have him in most of the episodes. Yeah, um, me as well. Um, and of course, you know, it's a tease. I'm, you know, he will will be coming back. I also, yeah, and I never made this connection before. But so they've introduced, um, and we can talk about. Uh, the spore drive and the uh, the spore hub technology, yeah. but they've introduced this um, apparently fictional uh, fungus, the uh, Stella viatoris, and I never made the connection that Mud's wife is named Stella. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's just a coincidence or if there is something to that. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't picked up on that. I figured. They yeah, named... that's funny. Me neither. Yeah, I figured they named it. They gave it that name because Stella Viatoris is like a star traveler or passer sure. in Latin. So you've got that going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's just dive right into it. Let's talk about uh, the the uh, mycelial network and the spore hub drive. What do you think about this uh, technology in the Star Trek universe, Alan? So, uh, I think it's we intriguing. Get a little, we get a little more yeah, uh, background on it uh, this week, which. Yeah, we dive a little bit more into it. There's that scene where, you know, Tilly and and Michael are there with um, with, you know, Mark from Rent uh, stand Uh, and (laughs) um, and, you know, we we get a little bit deeper into what it is and and how it works. Um, I I like this because I like uh, I I, I like the, the, the different direction it has taken the show. My guess is that, you know, of course, this isn't how all the ships in the future work. We know this as right. Star Trek fans. So, you know, my guess was first that there was going to be a problem with with Ripper. You know, I, I like to call him Tardy. Um, <laughs> yeah, there but, you go. Um, you know, with, with our Tardigrade. And but then we seem to, to maybe have solved that. You know, we're going to maybe turn a human being into the vessel for this. But there's there has to be some cost to this. And there has to be some something waiting in the wings that's going to make this. Uh, not work. We still don't know exactly where Ripper came from, right? right. Like, they, they, we know, we, we know he was on the other ship, the Glen. Yeah. We don't know where the Glen got him. Yeah. Um, you know, and and there's kind of this implication that he was maybe always on board the ship or something. Yeah, you or know, I and, thought I thought the implication because um, at the end when they shoot him off into yeah. space is that and he apparently he has the ability to um, of his own free will and apparently he has will because he's sentient travel this yeah. network. Maybe he just 
is a space-fearing creature who found the Glen because there was a concentration of, of spores oh, there. Oh, I get it. Yes, right. Yeah, so I thought he jumped like, in yeah. himself. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's like a hitchhiker, like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> right. He just yeah. <laughs> jumps into the jumps into the hold, you know, with the Volgons. Um, yeah. So, um, no, that, okay, that, I get that. I get that. So, um, no, I, I, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, the one that tells us why every ship in, in the fleet cannot be equipped with this. Yeah, me too. And I also like the fact that it's clear. I do. I still think it's a wacky idea, but it's clear that it's in service to a particular story and, you know, something they're trying yeah. to tell. And I think that that's neat. Although subspace is basically the force of Star Trek, isn't it? Like if yeah. something they introduce that it, they're subspace spores and it's like, that sounds kind of like midichlorians to me. Like, yeah, can... <laughs> or, or, the, or, or like the speed force from Flash. I mean, oh, it's yeah. this magical place where you can do you can park anything you need to or pull whatever you need out of it. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh, well, we see a little more this week. Uh, we see a really cool star base uh, where Lorca begins the show uh, talking to some other uh, personnel in Starfleet. Yeah. We see um, a Vulcan, another Vulcan, and he talks again to this Admiral of Katrina. I still can't remember her last name. It's Corn- Cornwall or Cornwell, something like that. Yeah. And we get the uh, the idea or the implication that, you know, he's um, he's a loose cannon. And we knew that. Yeah. We knew that about Lorca. But even... Yeah. Even his superiors are not too sure about him. And it looks like they're ready to roll out this technology. This isn't something that yeah. is um, – it, it was developed in secret, but they're ready to go with this thing. And we get a Kelvinverse shout-out in that scene. She says, we already sent the plans to Jefferson, Iowa right. to, to yeah. build them, You know, which is you know the, the very first of the Kelvinverse movies. We see Kirk sitting on his motorcycle watching them build the Enterprise you know, in right. Iowa. Right. So they're they're like they're doubling down on us building spaceships in Iowa. Yeah, uh, which is yeah, absolutely a Kelvinverse thing. Although let's talk about continuity because there's a couple continuity tweaks um, throughout the entire yeah. episode. Um, there's that very very fan baity uh, scene where. Uh, list the captains yeah they list the captains <laughs> and i was first of all i was just oh, okay yeah i know all those names but then i was trying to like rack my brain and go okay so does this mean kelvin or does it mean normal universe because we've right. got uh, april and pike which are mm-hmm. never really referenced in kelvin but that says to us okay they've never mentioned it but the enterprise is out there somewhere yeah uh, and then they mentioned matthew decker who i don't believe has ever been mentioned in the kelvin verse but he is probably a commodore at this point if if uh yeah. we're going by the regular timeline so they're definitely saying hey fans we've got your backs uh, let's check this out yeah i also like how they ranked them and it's like totally yeah, who's the best the like, <laughs> yeah. what do you think of this ranking huh yeah <laughs> And uh, sticking do... George you in there really, you know, really, you know, not too sure. ugly. A latecomer, but with a bullet. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and they no, mentioned... no, Lor- no Lorca, by the way. No, he's not on there. <laughs> not at all. And yeah. they mentioned specifically um, eugenics experiments and how they are illegal. Yeah. yeah. But that hasn't uh, stopped them from doing what they're doing on the Discovery. We got a Daystrom Institute uh, yep. shout out. Yep. Uh, that was a brief one. Um, I was listening for other things. Um I think those are the only other Trek references that I caught from other other versions of Trek. Ella, did you see any particular shout outs? Um, not other than what you guys have already mentioned, yeah. honestly. I tend to miss them, honestly, though, because I'm so distracted <laughs> by the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, so those are all things that are kind of in keeping for Trek uh, references and callbacks to earlier things. We have something in this episode that's kind of a first for Trek, and it's uh, Star Trek's first F-words. 
Yes, twice <laughs> in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd like to call uh, her Cadet Potty Mouth now. That's my new name. I... <laughs> for, for uh, which is like, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's on a streaming service. They can. There's no FCC. They right. can do whatever they want. But what do you guys think about pushing the envelope in terms of adult content on the new show? Ellie, you want to jump in first? Yeah, Ellie, do you want to take it? Sure. I liked it from Tilly kind of a lot, actually, because she's still a cadet. And I imagine <laughs> sure. if I were a cadet and I was in that position, that's exactly what I would say. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like she's really blown away by what she's getting to do. And that's super cool because that would be, you know, all of us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I think we had and I think we had uh, I don't know if you want me to censor myself, but I think we had profanity in, in an earlier episode, too. Yes. Um, yeah. With with shooting the thing coming through the door. Um, yes. Uh, I, I think it's when when Ripper when they were first capturing Ripper. Um, I think, you know, she says the S word. Um, I think Michael does. But I so I have a little bit of a problem with it, only in the sense that that I feel like um that Trek is a family show and um, and actually we're going to talk, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm referencing now a conversation you had uh, on on the regular, um, you know, your your um, your original series, uh, if you will, <laughs> right. um, Enterprising Individuals, where you were talking about why the why the constant play to kids on Star Trek, you yeah. know, why the why the constant you know shows with the characters and that sort of thing. And and I really do believe that. They've always intended it, it's not a kid's show. It was it's always intended to be a show for adults, but I do believe that they know they have a large kid audience. Yeah. And um and so in that just in that sense, um I I feel like they just don't need it. Um, you know, when I write books for kids, I deliberately don't use language. Look, if, if I'm writing about World War II, I mean these soldiers would have been cursing up a blue streak, right? Oh, I mean, there's a sure. reason we call it curse like a sailor. Yeah. You know, so like um like in reality. People would be cursing all the time. I curse all the time. My daughter, who's 15, curses all the time, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. But when I'm writing books for kids, I know that not every kid is – that's not cool with every family. And so to gain the widest readership possible, I avoid that. Yeah. And and I feel like to gain the largest viewership possible, Star Trek has always sort of appealed to multiple generations. And, yeah, it is on a streaming service. They totally – can do it. There's nothing that says they don't ha- that they that they can't. Um, but I just feel like they don't have to. I felt like in this case it was really gratuitous. Like yeah, like yeah. let's do it. You know yeah. Where they're sort of um, you know they're they're testing out uh, what they can do or they're sort of feeling their yeah. rights. Yeah. Well, coming from somebody who writes for different age levels or for a wide range of them, yeah. um, I think that has a lot of weight. Um, and I kind of agree. Although. Like Ella said, I'd probably be doing the same thing. In that oh, situation. I know, right? No, I, if it was me, I'd be, I'd be cursing like, you know, I'd be cursing like, you know, constantly if I was on uh, on the Discovery. Yeah, it's, uh, fu- it's funny too because they are, you know, they live in the future. Um, they are um, more refined. You know, they uh, are twenty third century human beings, and they're also disciplined. And so, like in the original series, I think there's one episode where uh, City on the Edge of Forever, where Kirk says, "Let's get the hell out of here," and that's pretty much yeah. like the only. Uh, yeah. Any kind of curse in the original Trek, so I mean, we've come a long way, baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we came a lot further at the end of this episode. We get our first, you know, gay couple uh, on on a, 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 a on a series of Star Trek. So, I mean, all like on a TV series, right? So, um, you know, you know, good good for good for Trek, and it, like we have come a long, long way <laughs> to end up there. Yeah, um, absolutely. But so, 
I guess we we get a couple f bombs and we get a gay couple all in one episode. We're gonna <laughs> well, just go. I'll on. take it. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, you mentioned uh, Mark from Rent before. It's a Rent reunion of sorts. It, uh, yeah, right. Actor Wilson Cruz, who plays Doctor Colbert, did play Angel in Rent on Broadway. Although I don't there think they ever were in the show at the same time. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, um, and there are some interesting developments as far as what's going on with Lieutenant Stemetz because he uh, puts himself in the machine, which I think we all kind of saw coming. Yeah. Um, but yeah. none of us could, of course, uh, guess at what the ramifications might be. And I still don't know what they are. Like, what was that? What was going on with the man in the mirror? Yeah. My my I'm daughter. Unsettled. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah, unsettling. Right? Yes. I'm freaked out. <laughs> yeah, I was watching this with my with my wife and daughter. My daughter's fifteen. And um, so one thing that you guys haven't mentioned in the in in Discoverage so far, and I'm surprised because it feels like it it's it feels like they're totally doing it on purpose. Is the 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 fungal corridor is the upside down? I mean, like this huh. is totally Star Trek meets Stranger Things, and okay. like we've got this other world that we pass through. We've got creatures who inhabit it. We've got, and then at this moment at the end, my daughter's like, he's going to barf a slug. He's going to barf <laughs> okay, a slug. Okay, sure. <laughs> like, she's, to- she's, she's been wa- re-watching Stranger Things. She's ready for the new series. And she's like, he's totally going to barf a slug. And then he didn't, but when then we see that weird mirror thing, and she's like, called it. I mean, like, and I still have to give her credit for that. You know, yeah, like, we- she saw the weird moment coming. And because it's, it's, it's totally Stranger Things-ish, if you will. Barf the slug is the new save the cat moment. <laughs> if you're gonna barf, I know he's gonna barf the slug. It's it's gonna happen. Yeah, hopefully it's not the new jump the shark. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we have we have not talked yet about uh, Captain Lorca and what he goes through yeah. in this episode, and uh, he goes through a lot. Uh, oh, also, uh, we meet a new character in Shazad oh, yeah. Latif's uh, Lieutenant Tyler. Who, yeah, who I guess is going to become a, a, a regular now. Is yes, that right? Yes. I like the okay. fact that they didn't feel the need to, you know, just start with all the characters involved yeah. and they're sort of um, accruing people as they go. And as Ella and I learned last week, they're also willing to say goodbye to people. Right. <laughs> at a moment. Right. And as soon as I saw this guy, I'm like, maybe this is our replacement security officer. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. He also I just I, I don't trust him. <laughs> and it's. Yeah. And right. there's you know, something fishy. There is. And they do that. I think if this was a, an original series thing, he would come in, he'd be all happy and smiley, and then he would right. turn on us. And since we are now all smarter viewers than we were in the 60s, they give you <laughs> a little bit where it's like, oh, I don't think I can trust him. Oh, no, it turns out that wasn't a big deal. But that's going to hide like the bigger thing that you know we can't trust him yeah. about later. Right. What do you guys think yeah. about that? I, I think that he he's very much a character like going back to World War Two and writing about World War Two as I do. Yeah. Um, you know, there were people who were collaborators or people who who were seen as collaborators, like especially in um, in concentration camps. There were Jewish women who were pulled out by the by the German officers and they were given food and uh, they were given better treatment right. in return for sec- well not not i mean not not exactly a tit for tat but no, I mean, it's it was not. it was <laughs> yeah sorry no no pun intended um but uh no they, they would have sex with these women yeah. and then treat them really well but the jewish prisoners viewed them you know they're like hey you're collaborating like yeah. and the women were like what else am i supposed to do and they're like well you you know you you fight you claw you 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 have them kill you instead of relenting it was a really contentious thing and um they flip it by having it be a guy who's being 
you know, sexually abused by a Cleon woman. But it felt very much the same kind of situation to me where, um, you know, Lorca calls him out. He's like, you've been here for six months and there's not a scratch on you. You're a collaborator. Right. You know, Um, and then he admits why he's like that. But it's still there's the open question of has he been accepting that to get the preferential treatment or has he really bristled at it? You know, Um, he certainly is able to stand up really quickly and fight her when she comes along in the hallway. He wasn't able to hobble along with Lorca, but as soon as she shows up, he's up and ready to cry. Right. Yeah. He's ready to fight her. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and Lorca and he make uh, short work of the guards in that scene where they come back right. to have them choose their pain again. And it's nice to see some old fashioned Trek foo in action. That's right. Yeah. yeah with the double hand punch. Um, although <laughs> I got to say, if you're the Klingons and you're going ritualistic, to rit- uh, ritualistically torture your prisoners, maybe don't use the same four wrestling moves every time because they're, <laughs> yeah. they're going to get the pattern down eventually. And then they'll be able he to telegraphs the, 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 he telegraphs the head kick. He looks away. Right. And they're like, okay, three, two, <laughs> one, roll. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, I think at that point I could have rolled out of that one. <laughs> yes. Um, well, we've been talking about uh, Lorca, the new characters. There's a character that we haven't focused on yet, uh, Michael Burnham, who is yes. in this episode, of course. And Barely. Bef- well, yeah. And before we uh, start to talk about her proper, I just wanted to point out the fact that for a character that this entire series sort of revolves around, I think it's refreshing that the series can step back from following her specifically. Right. And we have a strong enough cast of characters that we can... Uh, you know, follow the other characters and rejoice in their uh, triumphs and and cry with them in their defeats. Yeah, um, she. I thought this was. I thought they were really setting this up to be a Lorca episode right from the start. I mean, yeah. he gets captured, he's taken prisoner. We're going to see how he handles being, you know, being tortured and sure. and being under stress outside of a in a situation where he has no control. Yeah, and um, and so I thought it was, you know, it it was. Star Trek's always been about its captains, and I love that it. I love that this series is about Michael. I mean, I, I really do. Yeah. Um, but at some point, they were going to have to give us a Lorca episode, all by you know where it focuses on him. I think. Yeah. Because the captains are so central to Star Trek. Yeah, and I think that we've seen uh, episodes like this before, where you know the captain or a crew member is kidnapped, and then it sort of focuses on them as they're being broken down and tortured. Right. And we don't. I mean, we get a reference. We get three lights. It's not quite four, but the <laughs> the episode doesn't really go there. I mean, we get some insight no. into uh, Captain Lorca, but we don't really crack that nut. Like he pretty yeah. handily uh, sort of extricates himself from his situation and just kind of does his badass thing. And I'm not disappointed by that, but I'm just, I think the show's not ready to give up all the secrets on Lorca just yet. Right. Right. We didn't have our firefly moment with, with Mal, you know, being tortured. Yes. Um, you know, we, we didn't have, I mean, it, it felt actually very Han Solo. I mean, he comes back blinded, thrown into a, you know, a room with lights and, um, yeah. I, I, like I was, I was seeing Bespin all over again and, um, you know, and, and, and it was, and it was done as lightly as that was, you know, we get the, you know, in, you know, empire, we get Han going ow, 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 ow. And, you know, and then, and then we come back and he's blind and, um, we, we didn't get much more than ow, ow, ow. And, and a commercial break, um, which is fine. I, I actually really don't like torture scenes, uh, especially in TV shows. I, I feel like torture scenes are, um, are an easy, uh, or, or like a cop out for writers, you know, they can, okay. they can torture the information out of somebody and, sure. and that's how they can get the clue they need to move on forward. Sure. And, um, it, it, it unfortunately I think perpetuates a, 
um, a real fallacy, and that is that, that torture is an effective way of getting information okay. out of people. But sure. we see it in cop shows, and we see it in you know in, in science fiction shows like this. So um, I was kind of glad that we did that we didn't have much, and I actually wondered. So I, I've got two theories about his eye, his his division problems. Sure. One of them being that they totally gave him the the light sensitivity. Well, I guess three three then. The, the one of them is that they gave him the light sensitivity, though for this episode. That knowing that he was going to be caught and and tortured at some point, giving him a light sensitivity gives them a way to torture him without sticking knives in him. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I mean, like, if you're really thinking for a long way ahead, if this is giving them a lot of credit, but <laughs> the writers, but if but if you're really thinking very far ahead, you could give him this disability, this 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 handicap, whatever you want to call it, um, this sensitivity, knowing that later on you could use that against him. Yeah. The other two things are, of course, that that a it lets them keep the lights low and look cool, um, <laughs> which or, they call or, out. They totally call out. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think yeah, they they really lampshade that right from the start. Like, oh, I like <laughs> to keep the lights down. Um, or my 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 crackpot theory, uh, as I know you like from from enterprising individuals, yes. is that maybe you know, he he walks in with with Ripper, the very first team at that time with Michael, and says. Uh, this thing and I share a light sensitivity, and I'm like, hmm. When two things share a light, share a common thing, then often they're from the same place or connected to the same thing. Oh, man. <laughs> and well, we're told that he bugs out of that ship and that everybody else dies. Did did he? I don't know. Is is he? Does he have some connection to this? He's, is really crackpot theory. He's but next he level tardigrade, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, like they're both light sensitive. Sure. And I don't know. If that's a it, it. It could be a coincidence, but maybe it's not. Well, apparently, it's revealed in this. Well, it's not apparent. It is revealed in this episode that they suspect yeah. that the tardigrade is sentient. Which it's one right. thing to make a really big tardigrade, but it's like a dog. I could see, but a dog's not right. really sentient. <laughs> but and so they do the scene, you know, at the end where he's all hurt. Uh, and they give him the spores, and then they kind of do that scene that you see in every like dog movie, where yes. they got to get rid of the dog because uh, you know the uncle or uh, st- uh, evil stepmother is going to kill it. So the kid's yeah. like, "Get out of here! <laughs> Go be free!" <laughs> I, I didn't never love you. Yeah. The white bang moment. <laughs> so of course uh, that thing's coming back for sure. Uh, so yeah, maybe yeah. You're, maybe you're right. Maybe um, if they had tortured him some more, he would have curled up in a ball, and then they'd have to yeah, pour... all the water would have sucked out of him. You <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, <laughs> pour fortune cookies on him, he'll come back. Yeah, and right. uh, <laughs> yeah. I still no, want to know like how they gonna... It's a crackpot theory, not my not <laughs> well, my best theory. It's uh, yeah. it's not it's not bad. I, I like that one though. Yeah, I'm still wondering yeah. how the uh, fortune cookie thing's going to come back around just from a writer. I know, right? I, or maybe it's just a one ga- one time gag, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, yeah, I know. The Burn other of... thing, the other thing oh, about oh, Lorca in this yeah. episode, um, is that I think they're still trying to show us how different he is from any other captain we've mm-hmm. had. Like, do you think any other captain would have left Mud on the right. Klingon prison ship? Right. No, no matter how bad mud is, yeah, I can't think of another one who would leave him behind. And I think that yeah. every every um, captain that we know that's headlined a show um, before this would have been take me, you know, instead of sending oh, yeah. uh, Tyler off, yeah. it would have been Picard would have stepped yeah, in and totally been like points at the other guy, yeah. And I'm like, well, who does that? Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> no, of course it was a setup, but you know we don't really yeah, know I... that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
it's uh, he's he's a mystery, uh, Mister Lorca, as is the actor who plays him, Jason Isaacs. But <laughs> back to get her, uh, done. get her done. Back to Michael. I do Burnham. like uh, on ca- uh, just a, a couple more things. Just overall, sure. Uh, you guys haven't talked about it, but he has a standing desk in his room. Yes, which, but, <laughs> like. Like, look, I'm all about the standing desk. I think it's a great way to not sit on your can all day. Right. But it's just really strange. Like, and they, they even had that scene, I think, in tonight's episode. I, I did watch them all back to back, so they run together for me. Yeah. Um, but I think in tonight's episode, where Michael comes to talk to Saru and sa- to tell her, you tell him about the, you know, that the Tardy is, you know, having issues. Yeah. And um, they're, like, standing behind it together. Right. You know, and there's there's no... There's no Picard sitting behind his desk with somebody sitting in front of it, you know, having a meeting. It it really changes the dynamic of those conversations. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like it. I, I think it's a really interesting decision to have the desk, but to have no chair in the room. Yeah, I'd like to see Riker get his foot up on that. I know, right? He would. <laughs> he would totally mount that desk. That would be really tough. Uh, so, <laughs> so Burnham and Saru have a... Well, they have a conflict, and then they have kind of a reconciliation of sorts near the end of the episode. And I was wondering about you guys' opinion of how that relationship is sort of developing. We also find out that—I mean, we knew that it was kind of about um, Captain Giorgio, but it really gets underlined that that's really the source of his resentment for her. Um, Ella, did you think that that played well, that that came off well? Yeah, um, so the thing about— I was actually thinking about this during the episode about how complicated their relationship is. And I really love how they're kind of colleagues and they're sort of friends, but more in the way that they've known each other for a long time and that they have this mutual admiration for Giorgio. Yeah. Um, but something that influences me when I'm watching is that I've already read the first Discovery novel, Desperate okay. Hours by David Mack. Sure. Um, ah. And there's a lot of um, like solo Saru scenes in there where you like really get into his head. And so... Um, there's a lot more backstory in there about his like jealousy and how like visceral his feelings are about it. Like he's, he's really hurt. Mm. Um, but I'm really looking forward to their relationship progressing, especially now that Burnham has given him, uh, the telescope that was so touching. Yeah. 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 That was a really nice moment. Yeah. I think, so I think that what the whole, at least first season, if if not the whole series, but I'm guessing maybe the first season, my guess about what the whole first season is really truly about is Michael's progression from a person who was more like Lorca at the beginning to a person who's more like Georgiou at the end. Okay. And like we, we've already, they've already dropped in a couple of different episodes, like people telling her this over and over again. We, there are conflicting theories. We've, we're told over and over again that Lorca uses people to his advantage, right? Yeah. I mean, he, and, and we've seen examples of it. And we saw him walk away from mud today. You know, and, and we saw him, you know, there the guy says, leave me. You're, I'm dragging you. And he's like, okay, see ya. Like, he says, I'll be back. And he does come back. But he leaves the dude, you know. And, yeah. like, this is a guy who, and, and he tells us, he confesses to us that he blew up his entire ship full of people. So they wouldn't fall into Klingon hands. I mean, that's that's hardcore. And and then Georgiou tells Michael in her 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 will, her farewell message to her yeah. that she hopes that she learns to care for the people in her care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my feeling is that they're setting this up for for Michael's journey to be 
to be learning that lesson. And I feel like by the end of the first season, she has to win over every single person on board Discovery. And that the hardest person to win over, to get back to your original question, is Saru. That he that that that's the deepest problem that that she had. The deepest the deepest uh, you know uh, rift that she has with anybody on that ship because yeah. they had, as Ella says, this 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 long time together on board the the Shinzu that 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 and this jealousy that he felt that he felt that really had nothing to do with her. Like then she goes and gets George Yu killed and you know and or doesn't protect her or whatever. He still blames her yeah. and um and you know and and she committed mutiny which she definitely did. Yeah. So he had this deep-seated resentment already, apparently, you know, from the novel that Ella read, and and also now this extra reason to hate her. And so I think that I think that the biggest repairing is going to be between the two of them throughout the series. Yeah, I hope so. And that seems to start in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I don't Ella, think it's fixed, oh, though. It shouldn't be. No, it's not yet. No, for sure. Although the telescope goes a long way. Um, yeah. So Ella, that's a vote uh, in your favor for uh, for desperate measures. Then desperate hours, yeah. Or sorry, desperate hours, yeah. Yeah, it's like I honestly I was holding back tears for like a solid like (laughs) one third of it. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, good. Uh, Dayton Ward is writing the second one, uh, Drastic Measures, uh, which should be out sometime next year, and apparently is going to feature Tarsus Four. Um, around the time of the Kodos the Executioner sort of incident. Oh, yeah. So uh, we'll see. Uh, once again, uh, Kelvin or Real Timeline, they seem to keep us on edge, but right. we'll see how that works out. Uh, as we wrap up here, did you guys have any final thoughts, anything that we didn't cover about the episode that you wanted to get out? I thought with the with the previous week's episode, we got the Klingons, we, we got a lot more storyline from the Klingons last week. You know, we, we only saw the Klingons as the bad guys this time and not and not them, you know, their 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 machinations behind the scene. Mm. Um, I, I thought we might be able to I, I, I was interested in these Klingon matriarchs. I think we're going to get like a Klingon Bene Gesserit. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and and I don't know if if Vok is our is our Kwisatz Haderach or not, but um, <laughs> or what if he's going to have to stick his hand in a box or something. Right. Um, but I was surprised that we didn't get that. Um, I was we, we actually kind of pleased. I, I haven't loved the Klingon side of things. Um, okay. Uh, I'm, I, every time they cut away from the Discovery, I really can't wait for them to get back to the Discovery. Okay. I'd like to see it developed on the Klingon side uh, more as well. Although we already know that Vok is totally cool with having his hand burned just as a Dune reference. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. That's right. Yeah. They Ella, pulled what, that out. Ella, anything you wanted to say? Um, well, we joked about it a little bit, but I'm still pretty distracted by, like, mere Lieutenant Stamets. Like, <laughs> where, is, where are we going with that? <laughs> when they mention the mirror universe, you think this is what they were talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting that they mentioned an Andorian tonsillectomy. And it's yes. like, yeah. guys, you can regrow kidneys. Do you really have to do tonsillectomies? I know, right? <laughs> And yeah. how many times are we going to hear about Andorians and Tellarites yeah, and Vulcans and not see any? I know. Let's see them. Come yeah. on. It's the core. It's it's like they they're afraid to use the core the core races because they've been overused, but we never see them. It's about time. And I yeah. love some of the new aliens, and I've actually started a new uh, series on my website uh, featuring some of the new aliens. But yeah, come on, let's bring we those got a Andorians couple more in. Glimpses. Yeah, we got a couple more glimpses of the Captain America alien this time. <laughs> yes. Um the the woman who's got the the like the helmet and and like 
because she's because she's wearing a Starfleet uniform with the helmet, it totally looks like she's Captain America from the Marvel movies. It does a little bit. <laughs> and maybe Ella can tell us, is Commander Arium in the uh, the uh, David Mack novel at all? Commander Arium. She's like the uh, Captain America, like robot looking uh, character. Oh, <laughs> um, I don't think so. Okay. It's it's mostly it's on the it's on the Shen. No, the Shenzhou, Shenzhou, right? Sure. Yeah. Shenzhou. Yeah. Um. So um. We have a uh, Daft Punk lady though. <laughs> Daft Punk lady. Oh, right. good. She's good. Yeah. But yeah, because Daft Punk lady was on that ship that went down. That's right. Yeah. I don't. We, got, think, we I don't did, think she made it. Yeah, Ensign Goldblum didn't make it back this week. I noticed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, um, we keep seeing all these other weird. There were a couple of blue aliens in the background in the cafeteria. Yes. Uh, one that had like Nicki Minaj hair going down the back. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> so alien, alien Nicki Minaj was at that table. Um, but but for all the blue, we haven't had an Andorian or a Bolian. So um, that's true. You know, we got we got to get our classic blue guys in there. That's right. Uh, yeah. Well. After losing Landry last week, and of course Ensign Daft Punk in the premiere, uh, I think I have validated the worth of the segment where we check our threat ganglia. Who do you guys oh, yes. think is going to that big holodeck in the sky in future episodes? Well, I got a guess. Ella, do you have one? Um, I guess it depends. I think maybe the new guy, though. Oh, the Net- new guy? Tyler? Okay. Sure. Maybe not I right think... away, but... Yeah. I think he's going to stick around. I'm guessing... That it's either Mark from Rent or or Mark from Rent's boyfriend or or husband. I don't know if they're married, but but I wonder if his partner will die because whatever whatever Stan Metz has done is going to you know the slug's going to come out at some point. You know, I mean, right. like this. You know, he's going to barf up the slug and then and then it's it's you know goodbye goodbye partner. So I'm. I'm guessing, and he's not even the CMO, which I thought was really interesting. He's, did, did you catch that? Right, he's like, yeah. I'm going to go help yeah. the CMO right. do this tonsillectomy. I thought that was really cool too. That, like, yeah, there's more than one doctor on the ship. That let's let's see a couple of them, you know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, he's my next one. If I have to pick somebody in the pool, it's the it's the young doctor. I have to say that that makes I, me so afraid. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm so worried I, about him now. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that seems very likely. Um, there's a, <laughs> there's a trope called um, women in refrigerators, uh, yes. where you kill a um, an undeveloped character who is a significant other of a main yep. character in order to give them motivation. And it's great that we can expand that to all genders, but at the same time, that's it, right. It does seem like they're kind of setting that up a little. Yeah, we can make this an inclusive stereotype. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> For all all races and sexes. Yeah, that's right. An inclusive trope to borrow from your uh, another podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, he's my guy in the pool. I'm taking him. Okay, well, we'll set the odds on that one later. Um, And that is pretty much it for our show this week. Uh, Thanks for joining us, listeners. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EISTpod for updates and to get notified when new episodes of both this show, Star Trek Discoverage, and Enterprising Individuals, our other show, are released. And you can tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag Discoverage. Also, when you're on the Internet, why not head to your listening platform of choice, be it Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play, and subscribe to the show give us a rating and a review if you think that we deserve it because that really helps us out and if you really like the show tell a friend join us next week when we talk about the sixth episode of star trek discovery leafy 
and no synopsis is currently available, which I found was interesting. And also, there is no next time on Star Trek Discovery for this episode. What do you guys think about that? This might be something too spoilery. Yeah, keeping it close to the vest for this one. Yeah. I guess we can tell that Lethe is you know, traditionally, um, if you're classically educated, you know it's the name of the underworld river in Greek mythology that causes forgetfulness in all who drink its waters. So read into that what you will. I know that we will on this show. Uh, Alan and Ella, I want to thank you for joining me on the show. It's been a delight. Thank you. I've had a great time. Yeah, Ella, thank you. Ella, remind people where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me at generationsgeek.com, at generationsgeek on Instagram. And uh, later this week, we'll have another episode up, uh, which will be on the original Alien. So you can check that out. Mm, looking forward to that. Alan, where can people <laughs> find you online? I am at Alan Gratz on Twitter. That's A-L-A-N-G-R-A-T-Z. I'm Alan Gratz on Facebook and www.alangratz.com. Great. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me in the episode. And we are signing off. This is Caliban. For Ella and Alan saying live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>